0: Well, today we we begin a new series of sermons from the book of Daniel, the prophecy of Daniel. You'll see that in the Old Testament after Ezekiel. And Ezekiel is a contemporary of Daniel as well as Jeremiah. And I'd like to read chapter one today as we focus on how the church Not only needs to survive, but the church can thrive. The church can flourish in a culture that has just walked away from God, and we're going to see that today. The the church flourishing in a culture that has that that that, that does not know the Lord. But just a little bit of a background: If you look at Psalm one thirty seven, Psalm one thirty seven, you have these words. There the people are in a foreign land and they're weeping, right? Psalm 137, 1 and 2. By the rivers of Babylon, we sat down. Yeah, we wept. When we remembered Zion, we hung our harps upon the willows in the midst of it. And then you hear the people ridiculing them. For there are those who carried us away captive, asked of us a song. And those who plundered us requested mirth, saying, Sing us one of those songs of Zion. So it was a very, very difficult time for the church. And you see the context in Daniel chapter 1. Let's go to Daniel chapter 1. We'll read the entire chapter. Daniel chapter 1. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, he's the king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with some of the articles of the house of God, which he carried into the land of Shinar, to the house of his God. And he brought the articles into the treasure house of his God. Then the king instructed Ashpenaz, the master of these eunuchs, to bring some of the children of Israel and some of the king's descendants and some of the nobles young men in whom there was no blemish, but good-looking, gifted in all wisdom, possessing knowledge and quick to understand, who had ability to serve in the king's palace, and whom they might teach the language and literature of the Chaldeans. And the king appointed for them a daily provision of the king's delicacies and of the wine which he drank, and three years of training for them that they at the end of that time might serve before the king, Now from among those of the sons of Judah were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. To them the chief of the eunuchs gave names. He gave Daniel the name Belteshazzar, to Hananiah Shadrach, to Mishael Mishach, and to Azariah Abednego. But Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with a portion of the king's delicacies nor with the wine which he drank. Therefore he requested of the chief of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. Now God had brought Daniel into the favor and goodwill of the chief of the eunuchs. And the chief of the eunuchs said to Daniel, I fear my Lord, the king, who has appointed your food and drink. For why should he see your faces looking worse than the young men who are your age? Then you would endanger my head before the king. So Daniel said to the stewards, whom the chief of the eunuchs had set over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Please test your servants for 10 days and let them give us vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then let our appearance be examined before you and the appearance of the young men who eat the portion of the king's delicacies. And as you see fit, so deal with your servants. So he consented with them in this matter and tested them 10 days. And at the end of 10 days, or Features appeared better and fatter in flesh than all the young men who ate the portion of the king's delicacies. Thus the stewards took away their portion of delicacies and the wine that they were to drink and gave them vegetables. As for these four young men, God gave them knowledge and skill in all literature and wisdom. And Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. Now at the end of the days, when the king had said that they should be brought in, the chief of the eunuchs brought them in before Nebuchadnezzar. Then the king interviewed them, and among them all, none was found like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Therefore they served before the king. And in all matters of wisdom and understanding about which the king examined them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and astrologers who were in the realm. Thus Daniel continued until the first year of King Cyrus. The first year of King Cyrus is 70 years later, mind you. So Daniel outlived Nebuchadnezzar. Babylon had already fallen. And you see the Lord's faithfulness to his people in the midst of all the hardships that they went through. So we're going to see three points this morning. The threat of assimilation, you see that in verses 3 through 7. Okay, it's Assimilation, what I mean by assimilation is, you know what a chameleon is, right? A chameleon blends in with his environment so that you no longer see any distinctions, right? There's that danger that you start adopting the thinking of the world. So we're going to see the danger of that. We're going to see, second of all, the call to faithfulness, right? The call to stand firm in our faith. And then third, we're going to see how God promises then the flourishing of his kingdom. The three really follow in each other. The three follow each other, don't they? Right? We'll see that last of all, verses 17 through 21. But you know, imagine for a moment, being taken away from your home, being taken away from your place of worship and being brought into a foreign country. And then being only 14 years old, 14 years old, very, very young. It had to be a traumatic experience for this young teenager, for Daniel, to be snatched from his covenant home, just to be taken by force and taken to a foreign land where it had a totally different language and all they saw was gods, other gods being worshipped. And it's verses 1 and 2 that introduces this sad context. It provides that sad context for us. It says here, it gives the historical time. It was the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah. So that would have been around 605. Would have been about 600 years before the, the birth of Christ. It's at that time that Nebuchadnezzar, who's Nebuchadnezzar? He's the king of Babylon. He came to Jerusalem He came to God's city and besieged it. He captured it. Okay, that was the first of three attacks on Jerusalem. Another one would occur in 597. And then the final one would occur in 586, some 20 years later, where the entire city of Jerusalem would be destroyed and the temple burnt. And all the people were then taken as hostages, you could say, as captives into the land of Babylon. Why did all this happen to God's people? Of all people, to God's people. Now remember, we have to see this in the context of the rest of the Bible. Already years before, God had said to Moses, you know, these people are my people. But if they disobey me, if they break covenant with me, then know this, I will scatter them among the nations. And Yeah, God is faithful to his word. He's faithful to his word of blessing, but he's also faithful to his word of judgment. And what happened in verses one and two is it really a direct fulfillment, you could say, of what God had said to Jehoiakim's great-grandfather, Hezekiah. You can read about that in Isaiah 39. It's because of Hezekiah's sin, particularly that this now comes to pass. But you know, there's something very uh, enlightening, something that's very, uh, that, that, brings, that sheds light into the passage, and that's in verse 2. Who is it that gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar? Who was it? It was the Lord. Very, very important. The Lord. Who's in control here? Not Nebuchadnezzar. It's the Lord who's in control. And notice here that it's the Lord who gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah into Nebuchadnezzar's hand, along with what else? Some of the articles of the house of God in Jerusalem. And Nebuchadnezzar took those articles and where did he place them? In the temple of his gods. Those gods were named Marduk, Bel among others. And no doubt, Nebuchadnezzar would have placed him there as a thank offering to his gods for the victory. Where's God now? It looks like the God of Daniel, looks like the God of his people, the true and living God, has been defeated and humiliated. Unless we didn't have this, verse 2, the Lord, the Lord Gave Jehoiakim. It's his work from beginning to end. And what we should see here, brothers and sisters, is that in this, you see, God humbled himself in his people to go into exile. He humbled himself to go into exile with them and in them. Right? Because we know ultimately he would send his Christ who would take the punishment for the sins of his people by going into exile himself. Wow. God is with them. He is with them, and he promises he will restore them. And he shows that he really does love his people because you see how he raises up Daniel. He raises up Daniel, who points us to Christ, reminding us, Always to depend upon him, upon Christ, upon his promises, even in the darkest hour of our lives. You know, God has given us this book, this book of Daniel, for what purpose? To encourage and to comfort God's people in the darkest of times, right? We live in dark times. We don't need to shy away from that. It is that way, and it's very, very difficult times also for the church. But in the light of Daniel 1, we need to hear God's encouragement. Chastises his people, but his people are able to thrive. His people are able to flourish in a pagan culture. Not only survive, not just barely hang in there, but flourish like a flower in a decadent wilderness. And we're going to see, first of all, but in the midst of that, understand the real dangers. Of starting to think like the society around you. There's a real danger. And you see that in verses three through seven. The danger of God's people, right, living in a pagan society, the danger is they start adopting, taking on the values, the ideas, the lifestyle. In this case of Babylon, Babylon wants to take over Jerusalem. God's people in every way, not just in some ways, but in every way. That's always been Satan's plan to do that. And here Nebuchadnezzar was interested, especially in whom? The nobles, right? The, the wise people, the intelligent people, the people, the, the children of royalty, the young teens, young men it says here, but literally means young teens. Because after all, what can the church accomplish if you take away all its future leaders, right? Do you see Satan's strategy here? You take away the future leaders of the church, and what do you have left? Nebuchadnezzar, he instructs his, one of his servants. His name is Ashpenaz. Ashpenaz, the master of the eunuchs. He instructs him to find young men. It says in verse verse 5, in whom there was no blemish. Good-looking, gifted in all wisdom, possessing knowledge, quick to understand, with the ability to serve in the king's palace. He wanted the best. He wanted the cream of the crop among the young people. But you know what? Nebuchadnezzar, that's not enough for Nebuchadnezzar. He wants more. He wants them to become Babylonians. He doesn't want to put them in concentration camps because that really serves no ultimate purpose. He wants them to become Babylonians by heart in body and soul and spirit. And he arranges things. You notice here, he so arranges things that the name of God's people and the God they worship will disappear as quickly as possible and as completely as possible. And what a way to do that with teens, right? Teenagers are the most pliable, the most impressionable in some ways. They're easy to reshape and to form in the way that you want them to become. Nebuchadnezzar plans to bend them according to his will and to use them for his own purposes. And you notice here in verses three through seven, he had a threefold strategy a threefold strategy to re educate to retrain them. The first one is what? Immerse them in the language and literature of the Chaldeans. What does that mean? Well, immerse them in their religion, in their myths, in their values, in their legends, and that should replace the Bible, replace the scriptures, which is the truth of God's word. You know, this is comparable to today to, you could say, the myth of evolution that's taught in our public education system today, from kindergarten to university. Okay, it's taught to young minds. It's intended to do what? Even though it's not self-consciously intended, but we know Satan uses it to replace the truth of creation and to eradicate God, to eradicate His Word from the public square, from our society, the state and strategies haven't changed, right? But it's just to become. We need to be aware of that, right? We need to be aware where this is all coming from. Second, it's not only the the books, the literature, but also the food. See that in verse five. So they were to be supplied with daily allowance of food and wine from the king's table. So this is a way of getting them used to, to depend on a new master. They should get used to a life of dependence on their new master, not the Lord, but on a civil authority, the state. You depend on us, you'll be well fed, and you'll be well provided for. And there's sort of a veiled threat in that, Because you be good and we will bless you, or else you follow our narrative. You notice here in verse 5, at the end of the three-year period, Nebuchadnezzar's goal is that their previous identity as God's children, as God's people, would be completely obliterated. And then they could be useful in the king's service. And you know what? of the teens were in this program. Verse six mentions four of them. Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. And that comes to his third strategy. His third strategy was to change their Hebrew names into Babylonian names. Belteshazzar, Shadrach, Meshach, and then Bango. You notice that their names that they had, their Hebrew names, Showed faith and trust in the Lord. This, this, these were their covenant names, and now they're given names attaching them to Babylonian gods. All their names have something of a reflection of Marduk or Bel or other names of other gods. After all, there is no way Nebuchadnezzar, there's no way Babylonian society could tolerate a name like Daniel. You know what Daniel means? God is my judge. Right? It's a confession of who God is. Now, this threat of assimilation is really real today for God's people. Satan's goal is always to take us away from the Lord, to retrain our minds, to shape the minds of our children according to the values of the world. Satan plots. You could say this is his, one of his plots, to take your children away through pagan education, and often through many things of social media. Satan's goal is to make you think that you should not depend on the Lord, but you should depend on your well-being for those around you. But you know what in the midst of this? Those three things? uh, Think of books, name, and food. Who are you? Who are you? You are children of royalty. You are sons and daughters of the living God, noble children. And notice, your name, you've been baptized, you and your children. You have a new name, and that new name cannot be taken away from you. Christian, right? That's your new name. Through faith, you belong to To Christ, washed in Christ and renewed by his spirit. That's the first thing. Second, food. In the Lord's Supper, what do we eat? We eat his food. And we remind ourselves continually in the culture around us. Yeah, this is what cost the Lord Jesus Christ his life on the cross. He bought us with his blood so that we could share at his table again, eat his food. Bread and wine, bread and wine. And ultimately, be welcomed into his home one day around his table. And finally, books. You have the Word of God. This is the most important thing you can have the Word of God, the truth. This is the wisdom of God, which runs counter to the wisdom of the world around us. Yes, we have everything in Christ. Everything to thrive in a pagan culture. Everything to resist the narrative of the world around us. You know what? Daniel and his three friends, they saw that by the grace of God. They saw it as young teens. What does that tell you? They were well-trained in their homes as they grew up. They were trained in the scriptures. They knew the songs. And so being taken away at age 14, I mean, they had a lot And the Lord could use that in their lives, in his grace. Yes, stand firm. And that leads us to our second point. It comes with a call to faithfulness, isn't it? Right? To live in the strength of the Lord. To live by his spirit. You notice here in verses 8 through 16, when it came to food and wine from the king's table, Daniel and his three friends would not and could not hide their convictions. They would not compromise the word of God in any way. You see here, they would rather obey God and die than obey civil authorities and live. This was was their civil authorities. Notice verse eight here. But Daniel purposed in his heart, this was his decision and he was not going to compromise it. He was going to take a firm stand. He purposed in his heart he would not defile himself with a portion of the king's delicacies, nor with the wine which he drank. What is, that, what is this all about? The text doesn't specifically say, but it's likely food and drink that was offered to the Babylonian gods. He could get away with it with their literature because he had his own mind. He says, oh, I can dispel this. I mean, he, had a, he could think. as They couldn't control his thinking, in other words. Um, They could give him a new name, but this is who he still was in the sight of God. But when it came to food and participating in the worship of false gods, he had to put the brakes on. He says, no, this is the line. I cannot cross this line. A young teen. Can you imagine? Most teens are ripping around in their cars, maybe at that age. Well, maybe not that age, but uh, a young teen taking a firm stand. What does that tell you about the home he grew up in? right? Of course, above all, it's the grace of God using it, using the teaching that he had in his younger years. Think of the, the preaching he heard under Jeremiah, right? Faithfully attending the preaching of Jeremiah, learning the songs of the faith, and, and hearing the word of God at home, being trained in the way, train up a child in the way that he should go, so the Proverbs 22, and he shall not depart from it. But ultimately, it's the grace of God, isn't it? It's the grace of God. They were snatched from their homes, but God in his grace is now using the word, is now using the songs that could never be snatched from them. You can almost hear some of his friends from school who are also now in Babylon making fun of them, making fun of Daniel. (laughs) Really? Come on, Daniel. It's just a little thing. Just do it. Don't cause trouble. Aren't you overdoing it a bit? Aren't you being a bit picky? Aren't you being a little bit like a Pharisee? But you know, it's not being a Pharisee. This came from the heart of Daniel. He was captured or captivated by the word of God. He realized the call to faithfulness in his life, even in the little things. If we're not faithful to God in the little things, What makes us think we're going to be faithful to God and when bigger things come our way? If we refuse the first time, it's not going to be easier the second time. Here was the line for Daniel. He would not cross it. This is what it means. Really, this is what it means to depend on the faithfulness of God, isn't it? When we seek to be faithful, what are we doing? We're depending on the faithfulness of God. We're trusting in God's faithfulness. We're expressing our confidence in him. That's what it shows. Daniel will not be defiled with the king's food offered to idols. What does he request instead? Great diet of vegetables and water. I'm sure he ate other things before as he grew up, but he says, no, just give me, and my friends, vegetables and water. You notice that. Why would he express... Vegetables and water. Why would he ask for that? Well, perhaps for one reason, is he wants to show his dependence on the Lord, on God for their food. He's not going to depend on it from King Nebuchadnezzar. All food does not come from him. It comes from the Lord. And notice how God blesses faithfulness. And this is so beautiful to see. You know, God gives us strength for us to be faithful, but he also blesses it you see it in verse 9. God had brought Daniel, what? Into the favor and the goodwill of the chief of the eunuchs. Wow. Perhaps Daniel was scared beforehand, but now he sees the Lord at work, working through faith in him. But conviction, Daniel could not obey his authorities. And yet, you know something else here? He honors them. Sometimes people think that if you disobey the authorities... You're therefore not honoring them. But if you're ultimately obeying God, and that happens to disobey the authorities, you can still honor the authorities. And Daniel does that here. He truly honors them. How does does that show? How does he honor them? Remember the chief of the eunuchs? He was so scared. He says, How can I bring this news that you just want vegetables and water? How can I bring this back? To the king without losing my head, without losing my life. Daniel could have been rude, but he wasn't. Daniel puts himself in the shoes of this man. He understood that this man was not a believer. He understood this man was not a believer in the Lord God. And so Daniel says this to the steward. He knows he says three things. <laughs> he first of all, says, please. He's not being rude. He's not calling him names. You hear too much of that today, rather than praying, right? And he here he says, please. He says, give me 10 days. And he says, as you see fit, so deal with your servant. And was, he even puts his, his life into their hands. But there's no way he's going to cross the line by disobeying, right? What a beautiful balance you see here. Okay, Please test your servants for 10 days. Let them give us vegetables to eat. Men who eat the portion of the king's delicates. And as you see fit, so deal with your servants. You notice what Daniel does here. He just puts his life into the hands of God. Who can better care for him than God? After all, there's a much greater king than King Nebuchadnezzar. This one can bend the hearts of kings, can bend the hearts of authorities. God caused Daniel's faithfulness to be a blessing to all the people around him. Notice, he was faithful. The Lord blessed him. And that life-giving message of the word of God became, became a big thing in the court of the king. Daniel never would have guessed that. But God shows that he's sovereign, he's in control, and his people can flourish, his people can thrive In such a context and yeah we can really believe the lord will also bless us in these days too just remain faithful stay true to him stay true to his word never compromise the lord will bless miraculously at the end of 10 days you would think that vegetables and water you kind of look gaunt and skinny maybe but boy they look way better than the fat ones on the other side They looked healthy. They were healthier, the text says, fatter on a personalized diet of vegetables and water. Wow. How's that possible? Well, it has to do with God's grace. Today, we even have a greater blessing. There's a blessing that's greater than being healthier and fatter. What is that? It's an internal one. By believing in Christ, We have that new life. We have that new resurrection life. Second Corinthians 3.18. But we all with unveiled face, beholding us in the mirror of the glory of God, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just of the spirit of the Lord. That's far more greater than even the the handsome appearance of Daniel's three friends. This is even bigger. It's better. It's more glorious. The work of God and his people. You know, as we live by faith, the Lord will continue to shape us and form us in obedience to his word. Christ is the life, the only life in a world of death. And that finally brings us to our third point, the promises of flourishing, 17 through 21. With his blessing, God's people flourish in the pagan culture as we depend upon him, obediently trust him, And you see it in a number of ways, four different ways, just quickly. First, verse 9, we looked at that already. God brought Daniel to the favor and into the goodwill of the chief of the eunuchs. Look at verse 17, the second one. As for these four men, God gave them knowledge and skill and all literature and wisdom. God also uses that for his kingdom. He gave them great knowledge, gave them great wisdom, even as they were learning in all the literature God gave them the ability to discern by means of his word, so that even then, as we're gonna see later on, Daniel's understanding from the word of God is such that he exposes the silliness of the astrologers and the others inside the court of the king. He had the word of God. Third, God gave Daniel the unique ability to interpret dreams and visions, showing again that the Babylonian astrologers to be nothing. And same thing today. We bring God's life-giving word to bear on our pagan society. Let's not be afraid. Let's not hide our convictions. The Lord will bless. For yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory. And then you see in verses 18 through 20, at the end of the days, probably the end of the three years of training, the king said, okay, now bring them all in before me, all the men. And what did he do? He interviewed them. He found the four young men looking three times better than the others. Ten times. Ten times on a diet of vegetables and water. I'm not suggesting we eat vegetables and water. That's not good for us, ultimately, if we only eat vegetables and water. But God placed them in a unique position. They could be a blessing to the captors, help build up this society. And at the same time, in their faithfulness to the Lord, they could see the Lord work in such marvelous ways. Let me share something here, just bridging the gap to Matthew 2. Remember the wise men from the east? Well, think back to that time. And now think back 500 years to Daniel before that. King Nebuchadnezzar arranged Daniel to be brought up in the wisdom of the Babylonians so that he would bow down before the idols of Babylon. But in it all, God arranged it in such a way that because of Daniel's unique place among the astrologers, that wise men from the East would eventually and later come and bow down to Christ. Wow. You see the beauty of faithfulness. God's faithfulness. And trusting in it. The second thing here is the book of the Babylonians was to draw Daniel away from the Lord. Instead, The Babylonians were drawn to the great book, the scriptures, the Magi, the men from the east, from this area, come to visit Jesus, seeking from the scriptures where the Christ was to be born. In closing, for most of us as we look at our lives, can you say that you're like Daniel? I think most of us would say no. No, that man was so. He's a young teen, but he's so courageous and bold. We're not like him or like his three friends. Many of us, we wouldn't even nearly match up. But you know what? Your call is not to look at Daniel. Your call is not to look to Daniel. Your call is to look to whom? Jesus. To Jesus. Because Daniel was also saved by God's grace. And in Daniel's life, the Spirit of Jesus, the Spirit, the Holy Spirit of Christ, was also at work in his life. We need to look to Jesus, the greater one than Daniel, the one that Daniel himself is pointing to ultimately. And the good news for us here today is that a Savior has come to deliver you and me from our unfaithfulness to the word of God. He has come to deliver us from our covenant breaking and to bring us and to repair that relationship with the Lord. Our salvation of sin from sin does not rest on our strength to stay undefiled from the world. That's not going to work. But our salvation rests on whom? On Christ Christ and his pure and undefiled offering that was provided in the place of his people on the cross. And he endured far greater pressures than you and I will ever endure in this world, even as Christians. He, will endure, he endured far greater pressures than Daniel ever did. Temptations and trials. You look at Christ... You look at Christ and what he did on the cross. It looks like he was humiliated and defeated. But you know, he did. He came down to earth to go into exile for us. And in him, in his exile, we too are exiled. In his exile, we too are exiled. It looked like there was no hope humbled, judged, executed on the cross. But what happened to Christ? He triumphed over death. He is risen from the dead. He raised gloriously from the grave, and he truly lives. And that's why the call here today is to rest in Christ, and his perfect work for you, his perfect obedience for you on the cross, but also in his perfect life for you, He arose from the dead. He sits at the Father's right hand, preparing a home for us. Trust in him. Ask him to enable you to be faithful. Ask him to put you in places where you can be a blessing, where you can be tested and be a blessing, that the breath of wisdom, God's wisdom, may be in our homes, in our schools, in our workplaces, The beautiful thing is God gives the strength for that. You have his food. You have his word. You have his name restored by God's grace to be his royal children, sons and daughters in a world that is so lost, so confused. We look at our present day. There's great confusion, great confusion, Even our leaders don't know what to do anymore. They've given up their hands. They've thrown up their hands. We can't control this little virus. They need wisdom. They need the church. They need Christ. The call comes to us look to Christ as Daniel did to keep you faithful. And he will enable you to thrive in your families to flourish in this pagan culture around us today. Amen.